Happy Easter, everyone. It's good to be with you. My name is Tony. I am one of the pastors here. I'm so thankful that you've joined us here at Riverview uh, to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with us. You know, Easter um, is that time uh, when we do celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You know, I remember growing up um, as a kid and really missing the meaning of, of this day. Well, I remember attending church uh, when I was young um, on Easter. My mind was not there. Um, it was on Cadbury cream eggs, right? I mean, like that's, and jelly beans and like all this stuff I was going to get sick later in the day on eating, you know. But, but as a kid, I was just more amazed with the thought of candy-filled eggs showing up in my house than I was about Jesus, about the hope that the resurrection offers to us. But today, on this Resurrection Sunday, we're going to cherish and we're going to remember that, that single most important event in human history, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, but that he also resurrected. You know, that first Sunday after Jesus died, it started and it ended very differently. It was a day that began with immense darkness, but it ended with incredible hope. It was a day that started with with grief and sadness, but it ended with rejoicing. It was a day that began with death, but it ended with life. If you've been with us here over the last few months, uh, we've been working our way through the gospel account of Mark in this series that we've called The Sticky Gospel. Mark is one of four gospel accounts that we have in our Bibles. And what a gospel account is, is it is just an accounting of the life and ministry of Jesus. There's four of them. You have one by Mark and Matthew and Luke and John, and those were all the people who wrote them. Uh, But the word gospel means good news. In every one of these accounts, what the writers are doing is they are showing why what Jesus did, who he was, is good news for us. And today, we find ourselves at the end of the gospel of Mark, at the final events that show us that our faith today is based on a hope that is alive and that is eternal. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 16 today. If you brought a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up there. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance from the, to the tomb for us? So a few days earlier, these three women, along with many others, they were witnesses to the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus had been spending time with his disciples during the Passover, and one of his disciples named Judas betrayed him and handed Jesus over to the authorities. And it was from there that Jesus was lied about, that he was beaten, that he was mocked, and that he was eventually killed. And while this was a huge surprise to to these women and, and to those disciples, it wasn't actually a surprise to Jesus himself. I mean, he knew that this was coming. He had prepared himself for what he was going to endure. He even talked about it openly with his disciples multiple times leading up to this day. We saw the first time Jesus start talking about this in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. It says this, he, meaning Jesus, began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and to be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. 
He, meaning Jesus, spoke openly about this. So three different times, Jesus had told his disciples this very thing was going to happen. He even went so far to say that it was necessary. Why is that true? Why was it necessary for all of those things that Jesus was talking about to happen? Well, it was necessary because it was at the core of the messianic mission that Jesus had come to the world to accomplish. Jesus came to defeat death and sin and Satan, our greatest enemy, as the perfect sinless man. Only Jesus could break the curse of sin that has infected all of us, all of humanity. But the path to doing that for Jesus, it was one of brokenness and one of shame, one of humiliation. Jesus was lied about. He was falsely accused. He was rejected by the chief priests and the scribes. Jesus was even abandoned by the ones who were closest to him, his disciples, his closest friends. One of them in particular was named Peter. Hours before Jesus was betrayed and taken away, he was sitting down with his disciples and he says, all of you are going to leave. You're all going to fall away from me. And Jesus is the only disciple that says, even if that happens to everyone else, I won't, Jesus. I will stand by you. But Jesus knew that he wouldn't. Peter three times would reject knowing Jesus at his greatest time of need. You know, while it was necessary for Jesus to to break the power of sin by, by dying on a cross, it was this very event that completely dashed the hopes of his followers and his disciples. Do you know that feeling of lost hope? of looking forward to something so much only to have it be taken away in an instant, of looking forward with confident expectation only to have it end in a moment. That is what these first followers of Jesus were walking through on that Saturday, on that Friday, on this Sunday, that morning. But it was on that Sunday morning that these women were walking to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. This is something that they did in the first century. It was a way of honoring the person who had died. Uh, The anointing and the spices, what they would do was they would prevent odor. And they would prevent decay from from the body that was decaying um, in the tomb there. But, But as the women are walking there, they quickly realize and remember that there was a massive stone rolled in front of the tomb. They weren't going to be able to get in. That tomb was sealed as well. So they're talking about this, like, what are we going to do? We've got all these uh, spices. Like, how are we going to get in? But then we see verse 4. It says this, looking up, the women, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. So as the, as the women arrive at the tomb, they realize, like, oh my gosh, the, the, the stone has been rolled away. Problem solved, right? But as they enter, they look, and they look for Jesus' body, and they don't see it, but they see someone else in there who is very much alive, a young man dressed in a white robe. Now, that had to have been a complete shock, right? The complete opposite of what they're expecting, right? They're going there somber, sad, waiting to see Jesus, and they don't see him, but they see someone else just hanging out in there. And the text says they were alarmed, which is a fitting response, right? But who was that there that day? Well, from the other gospel accounts that we have, we see that this man was an angel. 
Yes, as followers of Jesus, we believe in angels. <laughs> They're real. They're created beings that serve and worship God. But for many of us, the picture of an angel that comes to mind is those cherub babies with harps and diapers, right? We think, oh, they're so cute. Angels weren't cute, y'all, okay? People freaked out every single time an angel showed up on the scene. So when these women are alarmed, that's appropriate, okay? Because every single time, first thing an angel says is, don't worry, it's okay. And we see that in the very next verse. Look at what it says, verse six, three words, don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they have put him. The angel takes a moment to remind these women of what had happened to Jesus. You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He was crucified. And the women know this. They saw it happen. They saw Jesus take his last breath. They they heard him call out to God in agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They saw him in trust, commit his spirit to his heavenly father. But then the angel says, he has risen. Jesus is alive. Three different times in the gospel of Mark, when, when Jesus told his followers everything that he was going to go through, he told them this would happen too. He said that he would rise, that he would conquer death, that he would prove that he was the perfect son of man that he had come to break the power of sin and offer humanity, offer us the life we were made to live, that power would be seen when he rose. Imagine hearing those words that morning. He's not here. He's risen. Come see the place where they've put him. They look into the tomb at the spot where Jesus' broken body was laid and it was gone right after this, that the angel doesn't have a longer conversation, doesn't give him all the details of, of how. And No, he just, he gives them immediate instructions. He says, look, this is where you need to go, and this is who you need to talk to about this. We see this in verse 7. But go, the angel said, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. So the angel tells him, go to these people and tell them this. But it's really interesting what the angel says. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Wasn't Peter one of the disciples? Yeah, he was. Why is Peter singled out here? Remember what happened with Peter the night Jesus was crucified. He denied knowing him three times. He did exactly what Jesus said he was gonna do. Put yourself in Peter's shoes on that, the rest of that Friday and that Saturday and that Sunday morning. Over the last three years, you had seen Jesus do incredible miracles. You'd, you'd seen him teach with authority. You saw how when people met Jesus, everything changed for them. Jesus even told Peter, upon you, Peter, upon this rock, I am gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But then you walk away. You deny knowing Jesus at all. I imagine Peter wrestled with incredible guilt and shame for his decision to abandon Jesus that night. That day had to have been the worst of his life. 
In the text, after he hears the rooster crow a second time, it tells us he just wept. He wept. But when the angel says, tell the disciples and Peter, I think we see God's compassion there. We see his forgiveness, that there would be redemption and restoration for that particular disciple. Now, while all of Jesus' followers were torn up by the resurrection, Peter had to have been even more so. But he would be restored. Over the next few weeks, Jesus wouldn't condemn Peter for his lack of faith or his denial. He would encourage him. He would restore him. He would say, Peter, do you love me? (laughs) Then feed my sheep. Lead my people. Jesus didn't define Peter by his sin, but he invited him to turn from it, to walk in faith and love and obedience to him. And I love what Peter's restoration shows us. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when any person is forgiven by Jesus in faith. They're accepted. They're met with open arms. Whatever sins that person is leaving and walking away from, Jesus chooses to fully accept that person when they believe. So the angel tells these women, go, tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus has risen, that he's going to meet them in Galilee, like he said, which is what Jesus told them would happen. But then what happens next? Verse 8. It says, they went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. So after this interaction with the angel, uh, understandably, we see that they're afraid and they're overwhelmed, which makes sense, right? They, they can't believe what has happened. The text tells us that they actually went and didn't say anything to anyone in that moment. But if you have a Bible in front of you, it's a pretty interesting thing that happens here. Seemingly, it seems like the gospel ends with verse 8. In my Bible, there's some interesting formatting here. There's a line across the bottom. And it says, some of the earliest manuscripts conclude with chapter 16, verse 8. But then as I read beyond my Bible, there's 11 more verses. There's 9 through 20. I don't know if any of you ever noticed that before, but whenever you see that, you're like, what's this mean? We're going to talk about what that means. Like, what's going on with that, right? Well, here, we need to jump back into history for a moment to understand. First of all, as followers of Jesus, we believe that the Bible is the word of God to us. We believe that God wrote these words to us through human authors that he empowered and that he inspired. And how we got these words in our Bible today from the time that they were written came through meticulous and careful copies and manuscripts that were made and passed down. That happened over and over again throughout history. But what this note is telling us that in the earliest manuscript copies of Mark's gospel, we actually don't see verses 9 through 20. We see them in later manuscripts. Okay, so what do we do with that? Well, there's a couple things. You could keep going and and read all those verses. You you could do that. But but for me, because the earliest copies don't include 9 through 20, I'm kind of inclined to stop at verse 8. If you read 9 through 20, you'll see that that those texts align with, with the rest of the truth that the Bible lays out. But I think staying as close to the original manuscript of Mark is the wisest thing to do. So this morning, we're going to assume the gospel ends with verse 8. But what can we know about what happened next? Do these women who were the first witnesses of the resurrection, do they stay overwhelmed and afraid and silent? Do they actually not do what the angel said? Well, no. We know that something changes. We know from the other gospel accounts that they actually do what the angel told them to. They went to the disciples and Peter, 
and they told him what they heard. They actually saw Jesus face to face, fully alive later. Jesus appeared to them, the disciples, and over 500 people after he resurrected from the dead. And it was after this event happened, when people had seen the risen Jesus, everything changed. That is when the gospel message exploded outward. The disciples and the first followers were empowered with boldness to share the message of Jesus with everyone, even amidst incredible persecution, which is so different than the disciples we've seen throughout this gospel, isn't it? I mean, as I spent time going through this series as a church family, like over and over again, I just thought, the disciples are missing it <laughs> over and over again. How could they be so dense, right? They, they, they would talk to Jesus and ask him, hey, who's, which one of us is the greatest? They would be confused about Jesus' words. They would, they would never tell Jesus, we don't get it. They would just nod along and say, okay, and they wouldn't get it. But it was after the resurrection that all of it changed. Their lives had a singular focus and passion of making Jesus known to the world, so much so that they died terrible deaths in the name of Jesus because they went and took the gospel everywhere. Today, we celebrate the resurrection, that Jesus conquered sin, Satan, and death through the power of God, and that he is still alive today. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven because of his finished work. The resurrection changes everything. But why? Why is this event so important for us? Isn't it something that we just celebrate once a year with, with a big meal and family and friends and Cadbury cream eggs and Easter baskets, all that stuff? Or is it something more? Our faith rests on the truth of this event. If you lose the resurrection you lose Christianity. The Apostle Paul said this very thing. Before becoming a Christian, Paul was, one, was like one of those Jewish religious leaders that had condemned Jesus and condemned him to death. He was an adamant opponent of Christianity, but he had this miraculous day where he met Jesus in this vision and everything changed. Paul became a Christian and he became the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. And what Paul did is he traveled around, he shared the gospel, and he planted churches. And our Bible is filled with letters that Paul wrote to those churches under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And one of those letters was to the church in Corinth, who were really struggling with the resurrection, with the why, with the did it actually happen. And look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 13. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation, our sharing of this message is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we're found to be false witnesses or liars about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep or those who have died in Christ have also perished. But if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Our faith rests on what happened on this day, the resurrection. If you lose this, you lose everything. It's essential. 
And we see it in those verses. Paul even says, if the faith didn't happen, what we're doing here, what we're believing, it is worthless. Why? He tells us in verse 17, your faith is worthless because you are still in your sins. Sin is a word we see in the Bible a lot. It's a word that causes us to bristle a little bit. We don't like it. In our world and culture, we don't like it. And that's good. It's a terrible word. Because sin is any time we fail to reflect the image of God. We sin when we, with our words, with our, with our thoughts, with our actions. It's, it's just part of our very nature as human beings. We are focused on us and our glory instead of God and his glory. Every one of us has a sin nature, that inherent bent towards self and what we want more than what God would want. And sin is so severe that the wages we earn for it with our life, it is death. It's separation from God and his goodness. But we believe that Jesus died on the cross. And when he did that, he paid the penalty for our sins. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you know what that means? That means that sin was stronger than him. That the power of sin couldn't be broken. That we are still in our sins. But the resurrection shows us that the power of sin can be broken. And that by faith in what Jesus has done, we can be free of its power. That's why we talk about the Christian life being one of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. When someone chooses to believe in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, they are no longer in their sins. But the Bible has a new way of describing that person. It calls them that they're in Christ. Their sinful debt is completely gone. When God sees that person, he no longer sees their sin, but sees the righteousness of Jesus, that they are hidden in Christ. And while this changes a person's life in the here and now, it changes it also for eternity. In verse 19, Paul talks about this. He says, if we, are, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Now, I'm not sure if all of you know this, but life is hard. It's hard. Every single day, our lives, we live in this world fractured with sin. We navigate dashed hopes and disappointments. We seek fulfillment and pleasure in wherever we can find it because we want to experience a satisfying life, one of joy and fulfillment and hope. It's how God made us. Jesus resurrected not only so that we would experience life with him eternally in the future, but that we would also experience life with him now. He said this to his followers in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says that I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly, an abundant life. The enemy of that life is sin. And by Jesus dying to sin, resurrecting from the dead, he destroyed its power. As followers of Jesus, we can live our lives and actually choose to not sin. Its power has been broken. Our hope is not in this life only. We experience hardship still. 
Death is still an enemy. We still struggle with sin. But as we live here today with all of the highs and all the lows, we look forward to a day in the future when we will experience resurrection too. That we will experience eternal life with Christ forever. This earthly life is not all there is. While we, while we can experience the grace of God in, in this life now, it will pale in comparison to what awaits us in eternity with him. If we've put our faith, our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Where is your hope? Is it in yourself? Is it in your accomplishments? Is it in the things of this world? Or is it in Christ and what he has done, our living hope? The resurrection is proof that even though our lives are still filled with hardship and pain, those challenges will never be stronger than the hope that we have. The hope of life with Christ, an abundant life of hope today, and a life of future glory where we will experience him forever. This is, what we, this is what our hope in Christ rests on. This is what it means to follow him. You know, when a person chooses to become a Christian, to put their faith in what Jesus has done, they do something to symbolize and show that, proclaim that. They get baptized. We saw this happen all throughout the book of Acts. When people would go from death to life, they would get baptized immediately to proclaim that faith. And we still do this today. We still do baptisms. We actually see the meaning of this in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of what? His resurrection. When a person chooses to follow Jesus, they get baptized to show what has happened, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they've died to their sin and they're rising to new life in Christ. In just a few moments here, we're gonna celebrate with some men and women in our church and some kids who are getting baptized today to proclaim their faith in Jesus as they go under the water that is symbolizing the death of their old life. The old things they used to put their hope in, that, that they saw that they, they were hoping would fill them but wouldn't. But as they come out of the water, they are showing how their hope is in Christ, the one who is better than all of that, how their hope is in him. So as these baptisms happen in just a few moments, I would encourage you to clap and cheer and celebrate with the truth that God has rescued these people, that they are his and if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you, don't wait. Do it today. You may be thinking, I am not getting baptized in this, right? And that's okay. That's okay. You can. We've done it before. But we have t-shirts. We have shorts for you. We have clothes. We have towels. Everything that you need. Don't wait to proclaim your faith in Christ and the hope that you have in him. In the book of Acts, people would choose to believe they would get baptized that day because baptism is not the sign of you know so much of the Bible, you've been a Christian long enough. It is no, it's that God has saved you. 
that your faith is in him and no longer in yourself, that he is your hope. So if you would like to get baptized today, I'd encourage you, we're gonna have a a video of a worship song uh, that plays here in just a moment. I would encourage you during that video, walk to our info center and have a conversation about your desire to get baptized with one of our volunteers. They would love to hear about why you wanna get baptized today. So in just a moment, I'm gonna pray. Just give us a quick fly over the rest of our service here. I'm gonna pray, and we're actually gonna have the red buckets come by for an offering. Uh, This is an opportunity for people to give financially to the mission of our church of making Jesus known to our church and community. Thank you to the many of you who do give. If you also tore off a bottom of the connect card, you can drop that in. We'd love to know you were here today if this is your first time. But after we do that, we're gonna continue to worship Jesus, our living hope. We're gonna sing together and we're gonna celebrate with those who are getting baptized in our church family today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do, I just want to thank you for the hope that we have in your son. God, I I just, I can't imagine how low those disciples would have been after Jesus died. Even when Jesus said he would rise, they had no idea that he would do what he did, that he would conquer death that he would walk out of that tomb fully alive, showing that the power of sin had been broken and that there was victory in him alone. God, we thank you for the hope that the resurrection shows us that this life is not all there is. While we live with hope now, we live with even greater confident expectation of being with you in the future where sin will be gone, where tears and sadness will will be completely gone. God, I thank you for those in our church who are getting baptized today, who have gone from death to life by faith in what Jesus has done for them. And God, as we celebrate with them, let us be reminded of your goodness and your grace to us, that you love us and that you've made a way for us to know you through your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.